0: there's no food and no water and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses for the and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent, and set it on a hole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. Whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live.
1: Thank you. And our second reading is from the Gospel according to John in the second chapter. um, A text that in all of the other Gospels comes at the very end. And in John, it sets the stage for all that is to come. Is there anybody who would be willing to read that this morning? I'll read it, Eliza. Okay, Denise, please. In Scriptures, John two thirteen to seventeen, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers mm-hmm. seated at their tables, making a whip, making a whip of cords. He drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Thus ends the reading. Thank you. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of your mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. A story again this week. If you asked him where he was from, he couldn't have told you. He remembered rather vaguely the time of making bricks, laboring under the bright, hot sun until time lost all its meaning. And he remembered the hasty packing to escape, though when he thought hard about it, he wasn't entirely clear if he was among the packing or the packed. The early memories were unfocused, confused images that lacked coherence, shifting perspective, shifting voice, until one came that brought clarity. A thin, sharp, bitter phrase that seemed to give him form, a form which uncoiled itself from its own circularity as though seeking warmth. And he followed the sound of the words spoken from somewhere outside of him. Clearly our leaders don't know where we're going. Who do they think they are, anyway, bringing us out here to die as though this were just some great joke? I could do a better job than that. He turned his great unblinking eyes, following the sound, and focused on a knot of people walking together, their heads bowed, talking quietly, but every word floated clearly to him as though he could taste their desires. You have power, you know, he whispered, finding himself suddenly close enough that his words seemed to slink straight off his tongue and into the one who had spoken so angrily. Almost wrapping himself around the group, he found it an easy thing to insinuate their potential, to lead, to take what could be theirs, to grasp what they suddenly realized was a coveted position, indeed a position that they coveted. It was exhilarating seeing his suggestions work in them, bringing within this particular group an almost feverish excitement, until one of them. He couldn't tell if it was the one he'd first heard cried out, as though in pain, and fell, and lay still. He withdrew quickly, little more than a rustle in the grass, so lost in the wonder of what he had done that he barely heard the cries of snake that seemed to fade to nothingness behind him. In the days that followed, he began to pay more attention to those who walked, and he would try to speak but often the words would vanish like air, formless as a breeze. He would feel curled in upon himself, cool and sleepy, and so he learned to wait, to seek the longing, the bitter taste of fear that would float past him, forming words within him that warmed him and stretched him out and stirred him to seek the source, even as a predator seeks their prey. He would slink toward that metallic-tasting desire, the perception that a neighbor had more food, better food, toward the sense that helping another might create a debt, the growing understanding that getting and having increased one's advantage. And almost imperceptibly he discovered a skill at measuring a situation at sussing out the weaknesses of the one whose goods were desired the means to overcome and to take and to gain the pallor of those who listened and obeyed him the hardened set of their jaw and the cold gleam of their eye thrilled him even as it overcame them even as they fell a slithering rustle of grass and for a while it seemed that there was little warmth for him to find little desire among the people to gain once it had proved toxic little but not none for even the symbol they created and carried among themselves showed him how susceptible they knew themselves to be how they had enjoyed the taking even as he had even as it destroyed them. So he learned to be more subtle, to whisper of small winds, artful accumulation of favors. He learned to enjoy the flickers of the fever that had once been fatal, to seek his coldness even as he basked in their warmth. And the people seemed to enjoy the conquest Those who had begged to be cured, to be given relief from the power that death had over them, began to feel the power that they now had over their cure. For in the more gradual ways that he encouraged them to grasp power, there were toxic effects, certainly, but there was also the knowledge that it would not kill them. For now they had protection in the form of the bronze snake he could see the weakness in the system. And his whispers calculated the cost, how much power they could acquire without harm, without having to seek out the cure. But even he was surprised as time passed at how much more the people could endure. For as their journey ended and they settled the land, it became apparent that the desires that had once killed them instantly were barely enough now to set their jaw. Perhaps it was the justifications he had long suggested that what they took was only what they deserved because they were stronger, they were braver, they were more beautiful, and even, and here he writhed in laughter, delighted at his own cleverness, because they were more holy. Certainly there were moments in which the people would seem to become aware of the toxins of their hardness, of the febrile pallor and desperate eyes. There were even moments in which he felt as though there must be another one like him, but one who was turning them toward their curative symbol. At times he could seem to hear a voice, or perhaps it was many voices, crying out with words that could unclench the hearts of the people, but which made him curl in upon himself, wound tightly, waiting for the taste of that desire, that greed, that would call him forth again. For the people had become so accustomed to his presence, the words he would hiss gently as he slunk around them, that even the cure had become simply a treatment, a way to keep the toxins from becoming fatal, to maintain just enough health and life, while still relishing the myriad ways in which humans can exert power and control over those around them. And so even the cure itself, that now ancient symbol that had stood among the people for so long, became the focus of his attention. For surely, he suggested, leaning companionably on the shoulders of his favorites, his most willing listeners, surely this cure should not be accessible so easily. Should people not have to prove that they are serious? That they are willing to work and to sacrifice for the sake of earning their lives back? You know, he added slyly, if people didn't want to be sick, if people didn't want to be prey to toxins, then they really shouldn't have sought power in the first place. All those people who don't deserve it or know how to maintain it as we do." This time, though, he was sure that there was someone else, someone who was whispering, just as he was, undoing the toxins, opening the hearts of the people which he had worked so long to close. He knew there was someone else, for even as the people worked to turn the cure, the treatment of his lust for power, into a means of maintaining power over their neighbors, There were others who created a new cure, a place of releasing human desire, relinquishing individual power for the sake of the common good. He looked around at the people with his ancient, unblinking eyes, cold and calculating. He tasted the harsh acridness of desire, of fear, of longing that had so long nourished him. He felt the warmth of the toxins that had long since become a normal chronic condition among the people, and he felt a flicker of pride. He had overcome their hesitations before, and besides, they loved him, these people. They barely needed convincing anymore. Indeed, sometimes they showed him ways to gain power over others that he would never have imagined on his own. Surely this new cure, if such it was, could be overcome, just as before. It would just take a bit of gatekeeping, the manipulation of all that was intended to demonstrate integrity and sincerity and devotion. Those could easily become symbols of status to allow a few to profit and to gain advantage, to gain power at the expense of those who could least afford it all justified, of course, in the name of holiness and purity and honor. He could almost taste the feast, could almost feel the warmth that would most certainly be coming soon. This had become almost too easy. Perhaps it was that very fullness and ease that made him complacent, as he beheld the fruits of his labors, The unyielding insistence upon the right money, the right sacrifice, the right ways of practicing a piety that was intended to open hearts beyond individual needs, and yet which was set up to maintain a rigid power hierarchy. He didn't see the other approach just caught the first whiff of fury, the initial blast of cold, and when he was finally able to uncurl himself, it was to behold the wreckage of all of the tokens of power and profit, reduced to splinters and detritus. In the middle of the mass stood the other, breathing heavily, a hank of ropes still in his hand, as those who had recently wept and pleaded at the now-overturned table cheered and praised and skipped into the places from which they had been denied entrance just moments earlier. Slowly he slipped out from where he had hidden, uncertain. There was a taste of power in the air, but it didn't taste right. There was a warmth that both tempted and repulsed him. Was this, then, the Other, whose presence he had long sensed? The one who had sought to cure what he himself would poison? He had expected the Other to be as he was, existing among the people without being a person. Yet what stood there was distinctly human. The other looked right at him, saw him there, as no one ever had. And as much as he tried to shrink back into the shadows, the other's gaze followed him, unblinking as his own. Not angry, he realized. Not really, not after the initial outburst, anyway. After a moment's hesitation, he uncurled, snaked his way over to where the other stood waiting. Silent in the midst of the debris, tasted the other's longings, yet they lacked the metallic bitterness he was used to. He started to whisper of power, but the words were thick within him, as though they came out covered in dust. Finally he spoke, in a clearer voice than he had ever used before a human, yet which he suspected only the other could hear. This cannot last, you know. I know, the other replied. I can convince them to turn this to their own ends. I know. Even you, I can persuade them to use you. I can turn this to poison. He found himself writhing in frustration at the other's lack of anger. Yes, quite likely you can. You cannot stop me! No, only they can do that. So why do this? He was taken aback and looked around the destroyed courtyard. Because what you made here isn't right and the people needed to remember that. They can become very used to things that should not be normal, and sometimes they need a little help in seeing what has to change. Whatever they create, I can destroy and corrupt. I will win. No, I don't believe you will. He was shocked by the other's assertion. Spoken quietly, but with a power even he could not quite fathom, he tried to respond, to the, but all that emerged was a menacing hiss. The other continued You will poison, but I will heal. And in every generation, the people will choose to destroy or to create, to fear or to love. The people will choose between the ways of death and the ways of life, sometimes even from day to day. For every toxic word you speak, I shall speak its opposite, and the people will always have a choice." He listened in fascinated horror, seeing clearly so much that he had pushed aside as his own power grew. And finally, his voice shaking, he cried, Do you not care about winning? The other gazed at him, and he could taste again that longing that wasn't quite like what he'd known before. I care about them. I care about giving them a way forward. I care about clearing the paths that you would block. I don't need to defeat you. I just need to equip them to resist. He looked up, but the other was already gone. The people were coming back, seeking among the wreckage for anything that could be salvaged. He tasted that familiar tang of bitterness, the active fear that usually thrilled him but the taste soured as the people worked together to set the tables to rights. There would be other chances, other days, other people, he assured himself, as he slunk off to curl up, longing for the world that he had known that morning of power and desire and fear. But normal would never again be as it was, and he settled himself down to see what this new world, this other would become. Thanks be to God. Amen.